0: Hi there, it is so good to be with you on this Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of May. Hey, we are so glad, and we know uh, that we have people from all over the place joining us, and we're so glad you're here with us, because God has a word for us today. And you know, one of the things you ought to know about our sermon series is that we, Pastor Brad and I, uh, planned these out about a year in advance. And so we had no clue a year ago that we would be right in the middle of a pandemic when we're doing this. Uh, But God knew, and God knew that what we would need is to focus on the absolute core, the foundation of our our belief and our practices in order to shape us, and even in a season like this, and particularly in a season like this, to be his church. And so I find that astonishing, and I always find that amazing how God knew long before we did what we would need to hear today. So I'm so glad you are here with us today. Hey, the text for today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, we will be focusing on verses 8 through 10, but the context always begins with verse 6. So listen now to God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, so we're going to do two things today. We're going to take a big picture, an overview of the Ten Commandments series and how we ought to read the Ten Commandments. Uh, We'll spend a few moments doing that, and then we're going to focus, secondly, on the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So an overview first. You know, Martin Luther, uh, who started the Reformation, said Anyone who knows the Ten Commandments perfectly knows the entire scriptures. Now, that's quite a saying. He's saying all of, the ten, all of the scriptures can be condensed down to these Ten Commandments. And those who understand these understand all of the scriptures and all of God's heart. Now, What's the first thing when you hear uh, when you th- when What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Ten Commandments? Rules, laws, restrictions. Here's what I want you to think about instead, and I think here's what the text itself wants us to think about when we hear the word. Ten Commandments, And I wish we had a different word for commandments because it sounds so, so oppressive, you know? But that's not at the heart of what this is. So when you hear the word Ten Commandments from now on, when we hear that, I want you to think of worship instead of rules, restrictions, or laws. I want you to think worship. You know, God gets a bad rap with these Ten Commandments because when we read these as rules, commands, laws, restrictions, apart from all that God has already done, then God ends up looking like a mean ogre, ready to hammer anyone the moment we stray from his seemingly arbitrary rules. And Exodus, uh, we have two accounts of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy and Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 3, he gives us a fuller context. Listen to what God says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their oppressors. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to what God's already done for us. God saw the misery of his people held under the yoke and the tyranny of sin. God heard the cries of the broken relationships, the broken lives on account of the result of lies, murder, greed, adultery. God experienced our suffering, so God himself came down to deliver and rescue us from sin. Not only did God rescue us from sin, but he leads us to the promised land, the land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land flowing with his blessings. We don't keep and observe the Ten Commandments in order to please an angry God ready and eager to punish those who sin. We keep and observe the Ten Commandments in response to a God who saves, to a God who redeems. And because of all that God has done for his people, because of all that God has already done, The only proper response to all that God has done for us is worship. Listen, it is impossible to understand the Ten Commandments apart from the context of worshiping a God who saves. And if we don't start here worshiping the God who saves, we will always have a skewed and distorted understanding of God and God's heart. Because God has saved us, we live by the commandments as a way of worshiping the true God. We worship God through the Ten Commandments, and we demonstrate to the world the type of people and the community that God is able to produce. Our lives, when we live this way, participate in the great purposes of God for the world. And by living out God's commands, we become God's agents for purposes way beyond ourselves. It all begins with worshiping a God who saves. And I want you to know these commandments aren't for the world. These commandments are for the church. These commandments are not guidelines for a people who don't know God, who have, people who have not been saved by God. These commandments are countercultural. They go against our natural bent for those who do not know who God is and for those who have not been saved. The function of these commandments is to produce the type of people who then are a sign, a signal, and a witness that God has not left us to our own devices, that God has entered in. Worship, worship. We worship because God saw our misery. We worship because God of all that God has already done. And when we are obedient, It's called worship. And the beautiful thing about this worship is it doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. When we worship the true God through living out these Ten Commandments, our church happens Monday through Saturday. Our lives, our daily living, our work, and our homes become the altar and the sanctuary of God as we obey God. The true God, the God who saves through these commandments. So let me ask you again what's the first thing you think of when you hear the Ten Commandments? Yep, you should all be saying now, worship. Now, this bis- brings us to the second commandment You shall not make for yourself an idol, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Isn't it interesting? that even the second commandment, making of no idols, goes right back to worship. And on the surface, this one seems like an easy one to obey, right? I mean, who worships idols these days anyway? I don't have idols and figurines set up in my home, do you? At least I certainly hope you don't. But... What is idolatry? What does it mean to worship an idol? So what is idolatry? Idolatry basically comes down to worshiping anyone other than God. Worshiping anyone other than God. And idolatry is way more than simply worshiping a figurine. What what idolatry is, is the denial of the true God and the refusal to trust this God who has saved us. How insane is that? To not trust the God who saves us, but that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is believing that salvation and meaning comes from somewhere other than God. Idolatry is when our ultimate concern, and by ultimate concern what that means is the way we make decisions about money, about how we talk, how we relate with other people and our neighbors and our enemies, how we deal with sex, how we deal with life and death and worship. Our ultimate concern, whenever the thing that drives us, the thing that determines how we make our decisions, when our ultimate concern is based on anything and anyone other than God, The Bible says that's idolatry. And so I'm not sure if we're going to have a football season. Uh, I sure hope so. But in in Seahawk territory, get this. We know the Bible says pretty darn clearly, and we're going to get to the Sabbath and the worship laws uh, in a little bit. We are to make the Sabbath day holy. We are to worship God because that's the right thing to do. Now, what's the ultimate determining factor? Unfortunately, even for a lot of us, when the Seahawks play on that particular Sunday determines how we worship. That's what the Bible would say is, you got some problems. And I want us to focus on this word. I find this word interesting. The second command says, you shall not make. You shall not make for yourself an idol, and you shall not bow down to something you've made to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not make. You know, it, philosophers and rationalists of today claim that Christianity is nothing other than our wishful projection of our human need. And in fact, the claim is that We, because of our need, have made up Christianity, made up God. And here's what I want to say to all these rationalists who say, I've made up this God. Look, if I were to make up a God, it certainly would not be the God of Scriptures. Because the God of Scriptures demands my all. He is jealous when I stray. He has some very specific ways for me to... that He would like for me to talk and treat others and maintain healthy boundaries. If I were to make up a God, it would be a God who would let me be, well, me. Just the way I am. That's exactly what we've done. Because we don't like the God who saves and what He demands, we rebel by making our own God who is okay with our sins a God who winks at our lies, a God who is unconcerned with our lusts, a God who leaves us to our addictions and excuses our greed and our selfish ways. He doesn't meddle. He doesn't get involved. And the God of Scripture is not like that at all, you see. God recognizes the mess that we are in and chooses to enter into the very mess in order to redeem and rescue us and to Lead us into the promised land, a land of blessings. God intervenes, God enters, God does all this to show us a way out. And this God has a name, people. His name is Jesus. And that's why we worship him. Now, before we end, quick, uh, what's the deal with this punishment stuff? You know, he says, Don't make, you shall not make idols for yourself. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What's the deal with the punishment? Why does God have to be so vindictive? Why get so worked up about a little bit of idolatry? Seems kind of petty. Well, this is how it works, you see. It's not that we are being punished for our sin. But rather, sin itself is our punishment. Let me explain. You see, this is a descriptive statement. God's just describing what happens. When sin happens. When we lie, when we murder, when we covet, when we commit adultery, it destroys marriages, destroys lives, destroys relationships. And that destruction, the pain in and of itself is punishment. Our rebellion, our addictions, our pursuing of pursuit of false gods that results in wasted lives and wasted potential and despair, sin that ultimately leads to eternal punishment and damnation. But, but we are terribly mistaken when we think that punishment comes at judgment. You see, the punishment happens and we enter into punishment The moment we sin, the moment we commit adultery, the moment we murder, the moment we lie, the moment we steal, it destroys, breaks relationships. And those broken relationships is is the result of our sin. We end up living in sin the moment we commit that sin. That is our punishment. And you see, that's exactly why God is so jealous. God saved us from that. God redeemed us from that. God says that suffering is no longer necessary. The punishment for sin has already been paid by the cross of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And God has led us to a life that is full of life and blessings. These Ten Commandments are the the very core Elements that build up community of love and forgiveness. That's why God is so jealous. So, what's the cure for idolatry? What's the antidote? Worship worship in this constant, repetitious, habitual, weekly, regular worship, what we're doing is we are bending our sinful inclinations, and we are bending our sinful inclinations toward God and submitting to God. That's what we do weekly. And in that weekly, habitual, regular act of worship, we learn freedom from idolatry worship in the context of a gathered community called the church, the community of forgiven and redeemed people is where the Ten Commandments begin to make sense, you see? Because this gathered community teaches us about the sanctity of marriage, we learn how devastating adultery is. Because this gathered community called the church rearranges our concept of what is mine, we see how devastating greed, theft, and coveting is in the context of this community. Because this gathered community called the church values truth, we see how lies destroy communities and relationships. Worship. Worship, in the church in this community, worshiping the God who saves from the land of Egypt, from the land of slavery, is the key. It is the antidote to idolatry. And when we don't, when we fail to worship this God, we end up making our own gods who demands little if nothing, but who has no power to save. So what's the key? What do you think of when you hear the word Ten Commandments? Worship. It begins there. Because God has already saved us from the land of Egypt, from the land of slavery. God has entered through the person of Jesus Christ to give us new life. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. And we ask, Lord, that you use us, use this time to give us strength, for God, it has been a, a heck of a couple months for us. Lord, we ask for your mercy. Help the doctors and the researchers to discover a vaccine and, and effective ways to deal with this virus. Lord, our economy is in shambles, and our economy represents broken lives, broken People who are desperate, wondering, and anxious about how to make life work with no paycheck. Oh God, have mercy. Lord, watch over those who are in the front lines, our medical people, personnel. Our first responders. All the grocery workers, all the farmers, truckers, and everyone else who still has to work in this context to make our country still operate. Lord, protect them. Lord, be with our teachers and educators who are having to on the fly create new ways of learning. Be with our students who miss their friends. Lord, Lord, our entire lives have been turned upside down. We need a foundation. We need a place to stand. We need a place to ground ourselves. May that be you. Watch over our president, our country, our military. Watch over our civic leaders. Lord, watch over those today who are having a hard time. Grant your presence. Hey friends, if you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's how this whole thing begins. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way you do that is to say, it begins by confession, confessing our sins. And you say something like this, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I receive you as Lord and Savior. And I choose to follow you. And if you've said that, the very next thing you're going to need is a community. You do not do Christian life on your own. So we've got multiple ways for you to engage with us, and Pastor Brad's going to let you know how. Start engaging, even now. All right. God, you are a good and awesome God. And I lift up to you, in particular, those who are living alone right now in care facilities and in hospital beds and in our own homes, but in isolation. God, it's been too long It is hard for our folks who have had no meaningful human contact and touch. You created us for relationships. Lord, watch over our people who are living alone. We look forward to a day when we can safely gather as a community and worship you. We long for that day. Until then, God, you be our foundation. You are our foundation. And it's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.